Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hi, guys. Jason here. I want to tell you about Wink. Dot com W-I-N-C. It's a great way to discover new wine if you don't know a bunch about wine. Basically, all you do is go to their website, fill out a survey based on your flavors, what you're into, what you're not into, and they ship personalized selections right to your door. They start at just $13 a bottle. You get to come home to a box that's been customized just for you, and then you can start chugging ASAP. There's no membership fees. You can cancel any time if you want to skip a month because you're out of town or because you don't have money. No problem. Shipping is covered. If you don't like the bottle, they'll replace it with one you love today. Even if you use wink.com slash the stew, you get $20 off your first shipment. Try wink.com, T-R-Y-W-I-N-C.com slash the stew and you get to uh you get to support us over here at the pod and we can keep delivering you great episodes to your door every week enjoy the show i say what you know about it it's the stew baby got the amazing plus young stew baby and the room a lot Hello, hello. You're listening to The Stew. I'm Jason Stewart, Andre Conaparo. Say hello. Hello. One guest today, Ryan. Uh, how are you, Ryan? Doing very well. Good morning, gentlemen. Ryan Wilson from, from Lowry's. From Lowry's. One of the world's greatest restaurant legacies. <laughs> yeah. I guess I didn't even think about that. There's, there's not a lot of full legacy name restaurants like that. No. That have that, that large of a world right, worldwide kind of recognition? Reach. No. No way. Yeah, I mean, you got Langers, but they only have one. They got one. Yeah, what is there a bigger one than than Lowry's for the for just the whole? I mean, are you guys just in America? We are not. Uh, we have seven mm. licensed locations in Asia, um, licensed off the Lowry's Prime Rib concept. Oh, um, three okay. in Japan, Seoul, Korea, Hong Kong, Taipei, Singapore. I would imagine that is very popular. It's a great bit of business. Yeah, that, it's really fun. That I mean, slash between kind of who doesn't love. Prime rib, but also kind of such a classic American icon over there must be very popular. Absolutely. And it, it's a great place to come and have beef, but it's so much more than that. It's such a celebration. It's such an example of Americana. Yeah. I think that's one of the reasons why those cultures really love it. Can they it, smoke inside is the question. They can't. <laughs> uh, Seoul, Korea, they may still. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, As of like, two weeks ago, they couldn't. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean... Smoking, uh, smoking is cool, but imagine. <laughs> ima- I'm just imagining. I mean, like we went to Lowry's for a friend's birthday like a month ago or so. Yeah, a month had ago a great ago. time. Had a great time, but then when you walk in, you know, it's such a, it's such a grand ballroom, and you, you, the, there's so much history all over the walls. It's like walking into a museum. And I was, I, I walked in, and I was like, I feel like I'm about to dine on the Titanic or something like that. <laughs> And then I just thought, like, imagine what that place was like when everyone was just 
every single Chain table smoking. had an ashtray and everyone had a martini in their hand. Like that's I think that's prime not pun intended, that's prime Lowry's. Yeah. Hoping Agreed. Sinatra's gonna wink at you when he walks by to his corner booth. Oh, yeah. Sure. We all, we we I mean, there's so many of those LA restaurants like Musso and Frank's and all those old places that you consider Dan Tanis, but like I think Lowry's really has the I mean, they have the longest run, right? We have... Uh, I mean, the, well, the Tamashanter. The yeah. Tamashanter has the longest run. We like to say it's the longest running um, restaurant in the same location by the same ownership, certainly in Southern California, and it's up there with uh, the longest runs in, in the country. Mm-hmm. Um, Lowry's is 80 years old this year, so compared to the Tam, it's a little younger. Tam's 96 years old, mm-hmm. uh, but still a great run. We're, we're very, very uh, honored and proud of that. And part of so part of that celebration coincides also with a new addition now to the Tam O'Shanter, right? Indeed. So we just added a patio to the Tam. Uh, we took a space to the parking lot and created a great forty seat little patio outside, and it's a great place uh, to come enjoy Southern California weather. Um, yeah, it's putting, a, go ahead. It's always it's like if you can, why wouldn't you have? An outdoor experience in Southern California, it, considering 90% of the driving force of this place is the weather. It's kind of wild. We did a little bit of competitive research and just found a lack of outdoor eating mm-hmm. opportunities, particularly yeah. in the Outwater Village area, Los yep. Feliz. Uh, there's a handful, but there should be a lot more. So we took the opportunity. And, and I, live, I live walking distance to the Tamashantern, or as, on, as of Thursday, stumbling distance after Excellent. sampling your 33-year-old scotches that... The Scotch man wearing a kilt was pouring it up. Do you have a Scotch passport, by the way? If you don't, you should go get one. A Scotch passport? Is that like a, a euphemism for something? Uh, it's an actual passport like you can get. The- <laughs> 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 it's an actual passport you can go get, and through it, you uh, experience different Scotches, different regions of Scotland, and different whiskey-making traditions. Oh. And so you go in, and you get to click off the box on different sorts of areas. Mm, and it's a no, fun way I've to never experience. even heard of that. I mean, I've heard of the Oysterpedia. Yeah. It must be the same concept. Same I mean, there, there's so many different types that you need a way to catalog it all. And Martin, our, our, one of our bartenders there, is from Scotland, and he is an encyclopedia of scotch. I mean, he yeah, he was... All the nuances and all the different That's who I was talking to. Like, was I great. walked in, and he was like, can I get you a drink? And I was like, yeah, sure. And what, what's, what do you got? What's in this? And then he said, like, five words, <laughs> and I don't know what any of them were. He's like, it's a little bit of this and this and this and this and and some like ice was the only word I understood him say, and it was delicious, of course. Mm, excellent. Mm. Thank you for that. Um, so you guys are um, <clears throat> you well, we're potting with you because you guys are doing an event uh, this Saturday. Indeed. Is Pardon? it is that open to the public? It is. You can still get tickets. It's for the uh, L.A. Food Book Food Bowl. Food Bowl. Yeah, the L.A. Food Bowl, it's like this thing that's going on all month in town, and there's a bunch of events going on. But this one, I feel like it's the most interesting one for me. Thank you. Um, We're very excited about it. Yeah, I mean, the one, I went to an L.A. Times one last week that was... Jason? Let's go, let's go four out of ten. All right, all right. <laughs> it's coming from me, not from Andre. All right, buddy. You're listening. <laughs> you know, do better, L.A. Times. Come on. Um, <laughs> but uh, you... You're having famous LA chefs reinterpret the classic Lowry's dishes. Yeah, and you we guys are out. you guys are known. Uh, I'm sorry, you were going to say we reached out to the chef community, in particular chefs that we know have had some connection with Lowry's, mm-hmm. and put out the opportunity to reinterpret our classic 
dishes and heard back from Nancy Silverton, John and Vinny, and Sang Yoon. And they're each grabbing Where a piece Sang of Where's Sang Yoon from? Um, I think he's Korean American. I mean, what restaurant? Uh, Look Sean and oh, Father's got Office. Got it, yeah. got it, got it. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. yeah. So, so Nancy Silverton, she's doing her take on all of the sides. On the side dishes. So, so Larry's is famous for? Cream corn, cream spinach, mashed potatoes, Yorkshire pudding. Ooh, so yeah. she's taking cream spinach, cream corn, and the Yorkshire pudding. Mm. I don't think she's doing, playing with the mash, but understandably. Nancy can't touch the mash. No, nah, no. Nah. <laughs> <laughs> and she knows it, too. True. Um, <laughs> so, uh, and then John and I'm, Vinny are doing the uh, spinning bowl salad. And Sang Yoon's doing our classic CC Brown's hot fudge sundae. Mm-hmm. Well, I want do a lot of. I don't. I don't know if everybody listening knows exactly what a Yorkshire pudding is, and it's kind of like a fucked up dish that is so amazing. So Yorkshire pudding, the tradition behind it actually was uh, to create another meal from the drippings of your pan. So on a on a classic Sunday roast um, in England, you would cook your big piece of meat in a roasting pan. And you leave all those drippings in it for the next day. And then you'd make a simple batter of eggs, flour, and milk. Uh, season it a bit with some salt. And then you'd pour that into some, the, the batter into the hot roasting pan, into the hot grease. Yep. And then it would fry up around the sides. And you get this incredible, eggy, crisp, mm-hmm. rich pancake sort of thing. Yeah. Um, it's like a pillow. Mm-hmm. It's wild. Like the texture and how light it is, it's kind of almost a little piece of magic. It's incredible to physically watch them yeah. souffle. It's an amazing bit of chemistry, and it's delicious. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's one of those things. I mean, there's, there's so many dishes like that where the dish that's the byproduct of the main dish is sort of everyone's mm-hmm. low-key. It's your actual favorite. Like, you want, you want to taste the roast, the yep. prime rib, and, like, you're eating a piece of meat with a fork, and it tastes delicious. But then, when you know all of those juices and fat drippings and bits of fond and everything, mm-hmm. and you put it into like a weird pancake balloon form, it's sort of going to be sort of going to be better for sure. Or, I mean, just or like yeah. when you go, uh, I had Persian food last night, and like you you get the kebab, mm-hmm. and it's served on a bunch of lavash bread, and then when you eat the soggy lavash bread that looks like shit. It sort of tastes better than eating the kebab <laughs> that somebody had like toiled over for hours and marinated. And you're like, just the chicken juice on that uh, like soggy piece of sponge bread is better mm-hmm. right now. My favorite bite at Lowry's, and I've been going there my whole life, is uh, Yorkshire pudding dipped into this amazing melange of flavors. That's the au jus, a little bit of cream corn melange. juice, and then the horseradish, and it's. Horseradish. There's a very specific place, you know, spot on the plate that cre- I create, and uh, it's it's spectacular. That's so. So that's like where Arizona, New Mexico, and Texas are the all touching the four right corners. There. You you create one of those on your Lowry's plate, and then you 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 dip you dip the Yorkshire right into that. Yep, that's it. You're heard from the horse's mouth right here. Yep, get out there and try it. So, and I'm I'm excited to hear this because I've grown up. Uh, going to Lowry's for special events. Um, always loved it. But Must be nice. Yeah, right? <laughs> um, and the prime rib's incredible, and prime rib's my dad's favorite cut of steak. So he was, you know, obviously very excited to, for any excuse to do it. But also, what blows my mind is the dining experience is so unique in a way that uh, 
to me, I would compare it in a very loose regard to something like Benihana, where mm-hmm. the, there's a lot of really fun pageantry and a bit of a show for dinner. You have the spinning salad, tableside carving. Would love to know from you the kind of just like where the journey begins, the invention of of the whole service and how it happens, and it's a family, as you said, still family owned. I mean, there must. I, I just love from the beginning. Yeah, even how it even all just happened. the process of making sure that every server or every every employee that's on the floor is is like not only not a dud, but like just a, a an overwhelming personality. Like even just like the the guy who's cleaning up your old fork is just like he's got a zinger that's like so good. And every waitress and waiter that was helping us was all like everyone was a firecracker, you know. We talk a lot about the show, and I think that's, yeah. that's our own internal term for it. And we know that so much of that dining experience is the theater of time at the table, but it's also the scale of the room, it's the silver yeah. cart. Grand. It's all those the components of dining. It all <laughs> <together>. <laughs> uh, it's all those components of dining at Lowry's that I think are really unique out there. Yeah. And, and increasingly you see restaurants create, being created that are minimalistic in the sense of, of details. You know, everything's rough-hewn wood, no uniform, or a very tight, uh, a very loose interpretation of uniform. Um, and I think Lowry's is, is occupying a really unique and great space in dining. Uh, it all started, yeah, from the, the brilliance and in, in, uh, creativity of my great-grandfather back in 1938. He wanted to create a dining experience after what he thought was the greatest meal in America, mm-hmm. which was the roasted prime ribs of beef. Yeah. Um, and he had a really interesting background. He didn't graduate high school. Um, he had some time with vaudeville. He was a, uh, just an incredible character. Ooh. All right, this is um, all coming together. This makes so much sense in a great way. I love this. Uh, his primary <laughs> job, though, was running a bakery. You know, mm-hmm. he ran Vandekamp's Bakery, uh, and so he no had, way. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Uh, and so he had uh, first the Tamashander, mm-hmm. uh, and Vandekamp's right down the street from Tamashander. Exactly. So the yeah. Tamashander was opened. Uh, to be something of the commissary cafeteria for the bakery. Right. And Which is a huge building and an incredibly big yeah, operation. Right off huge Avenue. baking. Yeah. When you say, mm-hmm. like, you know, manage the baking, you think, like, of a bakery. This is no, a, it was a big commercial. This is commercial. Yeah, yeah, it's huge. huge. Yeah. Um, and the TAM. Like four Whole Foods is combined. Yeah, it, was, it was big. Sorry, and it ahead. serviced all of Southern California, eventually all of the West Coast. Yeah. Uh, so he created the Tamashaner and, and had a relationship with a set designer for Disney. And that's where all the, the great detail and design of the Tam uh, was inspired to look like a Scottish inn. Yeah. Um, it has that great feel to it, mm-hmm. that personality. It's, you, I think anybody living in Atwater, if they can have to name one business there, it just is, it sticks out in this great way of like, what is this wild creation Soup coming plantation. by? Yeah. Soup plantation, exactly. <laughs> and then Tamo Shannon. <laughs> the best buy. It's, uh, it's iconic. <laughs> but I'm so happy that that's the story because somebody with a vaudeville background whose friend is a set designer for Disney, it's like, this all that, makes mm-hmm. sense. And he eventually became friends with, with Walt Disney himself. And so, you know, back in that time, the creative opportunities, I think, were, had easier access. There was a, a tighter network, just mm-hmm. less people. Um, and he wanted to create this restaurant uh, around this greatest meal in America and wanted to include all these things and um, only serve one entree. And his you know, colleagues and friends told him, you're crazy, you're never going to be able to make a restaurant work at one entree. So actually, at opening, it had a broader menu, and they operated with a broader menu for about six months, 
and quickly realized, forget it. I'm not going to be doing the traditional a la carte option. We're going to go down to what we We're know. We're taking the kimchi sliders off. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. Now for this fusion food. Um, and just focus on what they do and do well. And uh, it's worked out incredibly well. You know, yeah. For a long time, we would add new items to the menu every 10 years. And that's, we're, we're talking about adding sour cream to the baked potato. We're talking about <laughs> adding a fish entree. And, and uh, I think the maintaining some of that core uh, version of creativity from my great-grandfather is one of the reasons why we've endured for 80 years. And we've stuck to it. It shows. Are there any dishes on the menu that are, have, were like an addition from one of your loyal clientele that made a suggestion that became so popular that it stuck on the menu, like, you know, a, a f- let's go with him now. Jason wants Straight a sandwich no. named after him is what he's getting at. <laughs> we can do that, yeah. I mean, you know, like, yeah did, did some old famous guy walk in and be like, I want my, I want my cream spinach to be served in a, in a man's hat? <laughs> and then God it just stuck, it. you know, something like that. I mean, obviously that's a, that's a stretch, but... So there's the uh, our second largest cut of prime rib is named the Diamond Jim Brady cut. Yep. And mm. Diamond Jim uh, was a, a famous gastronome. Um, I think he was a banker, lived in New York. There's all sorts of lore about him. I don't think he was a, a customer directly of ours, but um, his his uh, opulence and, and uh, I don't want to say gluttony, but he liked to eat a lot. Yeah. Um, influenced the naming of that piece of meat. He was a bigger fella? He was a bigger fella, yeah. <laughs> What's the Diamond Jim Brady weighing at? Um, Ish. Over a pound? 20, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, 22 oh, yeah. ounces. Whew. Yeah. That's with the bone, so you know you take the bone out and you're only going to be eating a pound of beef. Right, that's it. That I need two. That's it? Two. Yeah. But then you can also two. come in and get the beef bowl, which is up to 28 and that's named after uh, the famous event, the Beef Bowl, here, yeah. where we host uh, the Rose Bowl teams at the restaurant every year. Uh, and that traditionally was the cut we would serve all the football players, which how, is 28, 28 ounces of meat. How did that tradition start? Uh, just happenstance and continued every year? My grandfather, Richard Frank, uh, was a huge college football fan. Yep. Uh, he, he's actually in the Rose Bowl Hall of Fame for having gone to... Uh, something like 80-plus Rose Bowl games. Wow. Loved yes. college football, huge Rose Bowl fan. And I think he was probably in his early 40s and just had the idea of, hey, I want to host the Rose Bowl teams every year because yeah. they're playing in, in Pasadena and I've got a great iconic restaurant. Let's host them. got a party with the guys. And, yeah. And that then became a great institution and a tradition of the and, Rose Bowl. And, and, was us that, and, and there was like a little bit of... A little bit of gray area, whether or not it was like an eating contest or not. So we used to keep track of the amount of meat that the two teams would eat. Mm-hmm. And we'd announce it, or they'd actually announce it at the, the uh, telecast And was this the like the day before the Rose Bowl? a couple, Bowl? Days, a couple before. days before. Usually yeah. like the 27th and 29th, and the games traditionally played on January 1st. Mm-hmm. And the coaches eventually got in front of that and said, you guys need to stop <laughs> announcing this competition because these guys and need to go play football. And put that cigarette out, too. Yeah. <laughs> game on Sunday. <laughs> they can still eat as much meat as they want, but yeah. we don't sure. track it uh, and we don't announce it. And, and there have been instances where... <laughs> Particularly, offensive linemen will eat multiple pounds of meat. Yep, it's to crazy live. when you, when you think to live about, and be young. You think about you know <laughs> the quarter pounder with cheese, and that's a quarter of a pound. But when you start talking about pounds of meat, you're you're leaving the restaurant weighing multiple more pounds. Yes. right? yeah, mm-hmm. no, inside your body. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you, you came increased. In, you were three mass. pounds heavier because of what you just ate. 
Yeah. God bless them. Indeed. God bless them out there. Uh, well, speaking of not changing the menu mm-hmm. very much, do you? I feel like part of Lowry's and the Tamashenko and all those is you go there because it's going to be a slice of the past. Mm-hmm. Do you feel resistance from the the clientele when you're introducing new modern, like when you throw a kale salad on the menu now? Are people like, what's going on here? It's a great question, and it is a real challenge that we deal with, uh, that I deal with particularly as being a chef by training. And and how do you keep the food, the concept, the the you know employees in the restaurant inspired by something new? Mm-hmm. Um, and how do you introduce new items? I found it to be successful if you're just adding something and you're giving people another choice rather than taking something away. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So if you replace a favorite salad of, of someone who's been coming to that restaurant for 20 years with your version of it, you're doing something to that guest experience as opposed to adding something on and giving them some greater way to, to access their uh, dining experience, how they want to treat themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think you have to be careful. You have to do a lot of communication. You have to um, continue to understand what the guests' needs are coming to a nostalgic, historic restaurant. Mm-hmm. But you also can't be stymied by keeping the concept fresh. You have to be continuing to add things. Make it... it uh, but do you have to keep adding things? I, I think you do. And I think you have to be strategic and selective in what you're doing. But I think you have to be adding a little bit of change, a little bit of... Um, you know, new creativity on the menu. And it's got to be subtle and inappropriate with the, yeah. the concept. But otherwise, you just continually get stuck in the past. And, and mm-hmm. uh, I think there are... It's, 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 it's very easy to not succeed when you're stuck in the past. Mm-hmm. There are restaurants that are able to do it, and that's their whole shtick. It's like, we haven't changed anything since 1963, and that's why people come here for a novelty sake. But, yeah, but you have to adjust somewhat, you know, like as... You know, veganism is more yeah. popular, and allergies and gluten resistance is is, is, is going on. Sure, you you sort of have to keep up with that. And I think you have to. Ideally, you keep the concept, you keep the food, you keep the core experience the same, so that people don't really recognize change and are scared by it. But they see something a little different. They see something new that right. they can try, rather than you've you've changed why I come back to this place and you've changed all the memories I've created here. Mm-hmm. That's where you don't want to play around. Uh, but I think one of the most important things is you got to keep a little bit of freshness on the menu to keep your internal team inspired. Sure. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, and I think that's whether you've been an uh, uh, employee at the restaurant, a coworker as we call them, for 10 months or 20 years. You know, it's good to keep things a little fresh, something new to remember and, and uh, come inspired to work with. So Now with... with- Maybe some things that have come and gone. Is there a secret menu that people can be made aware of at Lowry's? Something that you, you know, the, the old regulars can I was can talking ask to your for. Uncle Rich about this. He didn't really have much to tell me. He, he said his, the biggest pro tip he said is when you order the Yorkshire pudding, ask for them to make a fresh, a freshie. Yeah, my uncle is a, he is a Yorkshire pudding aficionado he's a pudding head yep. he's 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 a pudding head he, <laughs> he loves the yorkshire pudding and with good reason i think it's a pretty spectacular uh piece of our meal mm-hmm. um, but that's what like when i when i go to in and out or del taco i always ask for the fries well done yeah me too just to get make sure you're ensuring that they're cooking them fresh and yep. they're not just the ones they're sitting out Indeed. so it makes sense to do it with the with the pudding as well i don't think it's quite an animal style version like in and out but uh my aunt turned me on to having a little jalapeno on my prime rib 
Oh, and okay. <clears throat> that just little bit of, of pepper heat mm-hmm. is like a, a pickled great... jalapeno. No, no, no. Just a fresh just, jalapeno. Just a raw, nice, fresh. raw, fresh jalapeno. Nice slice of it changes your prime rib experience dramatically. Yeah, I guess, if, and you, it's, I guess it's awesome. if you if you've been eating slabs of prime rib since you're in diapers, you kind of need a little something to switch it up, huh? Yeah. Horseradish only can do so much after a while before you got to start shooting up, you know? Indeed. Well, yep. okay. Yep. So you mentioned horseradish in your special bite, and you just said it now. Yep. Um, when we, Andre loves horseradish. I love horseradish so much. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm a, and, and put myself in painful situations many yeah, times. Yeah, if people, if people haven't been or have forgotten, it, the horseradish comes out as a trio, right? Two. Two, two different two. types. As a yep. duo. There's a creamed and a fresh, yep. right? And I've, I've graded horseradish fresh here at my house, um, and I would liken the, the horseradish to like a fine sushi restaurant when they're doing, they're grading wasabi sure. almost to order, where the, horse, the quality of the fresh horseradish and the creamed, but you're missing a little bit of the nuance when you're kind of creaming it a little bit, but the fresh horseradish is an experience like you've never had horseradish before, possibly, because it's so incredible mm. and it, it was so much fun to have everybody try it and have the same reaction of like, you, it's so fresh and hot in the best possible way that it, it, it's like almost a chemical experience where it you know, clears mm-hmm. the sinuses and it changes your head a little bit. And it's like, it's a really yeah. wild ride. Uh-huh. And, and, Love it. And for me, <laughs> and for my Caucasian palate, much more enjoyable than getting that from a chili. Ooh. Yeah, well, there's no lingering oil, right? So yeah, it, it yeah. comes and goes a lot better than if you're. Yeah, I can I can handle a, a full horseradish blast, and it's a fun ride for me. But you got to close your eyes and just hold on to it for a few seconds. If, but then, if, yeah, if I'm hitting the Scotch bonnet, I gotta go. I have to excuse myself. Yeah, <laughs> but that bonnet's gonna stick with you too, and the horseradish won't. But when I mean, and this goes back to me in ways that you're saying the the menu has been curated for so long to be extremely tight and specific. Mm-hmm. Um, but also maintaining the smaller details of a smaller menu becomes so important and reflects everything all the way down to a small piece, a small cup of horseradish that Indeed. comes out to the table. Yeah, everything is so very well considered and is all about building um, a very unique memory and flavor profile. And uh, I think the horseradish is one of those unappreciated, if you will, mm-hmm. components of the meal that people don't remember until you've been there and be like, oh man, I got to have the horseradish too. Yeah. It's, it, yeah. Because if you have the prime rib on its own, just a piece of meat, mm-hmm. it's deliciously tender, yep. but it, it truly doesn't have a ton of flavor. No. I mean, a steak is mm-hmm. going to have an opportunity to be seasoned on both sides, to be right. caramelized. Prime yep. rib doesn't have that opportunity. Mm-hmm. So a lot of the flavor comes from the au jus mm-hmm. and from the horseradish. And yep. however much you mix in there, the blend between the fresh and the creamed, uh, and you have that opportunity to really tune in your own prime rib experience, yeah. and the horseradish is, is critical to that. And this parlays into the seasoning salt because prime rib being such a huge piece of meat, mm-hmm. it is very difficult, I would, some would say impossible, to yeah. perfectly season to the center of something yeah. that you're carving that large. That being sacrificed for tenderness mm-hmm. and texture and, every, and an incredible cut. So... Lowry's famous for seasoning as well. Lowry's seasoned salt. Uh, it was a salt created by my great-grandfather specifically yep. to season the prime rib. Yeah. Uh, we, of course, still use it today throughout mm-hmm. almost all of our recipes, if not all of our recipes. Uh, my grandfather saw the opportunity in developing that company and yeah. did that. That was the majority of his career. 
Um, we don't own that business anymore. Uh-huh. Uh, so he was, but still like, use the product. Obviously, he was yes, like tinkering in the garage, getting the formula down. Absolutely, hundred percent for a long time. Apparently, mm-hmm. mixing a little more paprika, a little bit, you know, more sugar. That seems like uh, such a, a crazy salt. thing to like when. When do you know? Like for me, if I was like, all right, make your own Lowry seasoning salt. I mean, it doesn't have that many ingredients in it, right? But you're not I don't gonna, think so. But you're not I feel. I it. mean, I feel like I would just look at it and in a in a day, I would be able to get the ratio. I'd be like, tastes good. But then to be like, it has to be better and better. <laughs> and then like six months later, you know, he's weighing out eat like grains of paprika, like. No, and like his wife's yelling at him to go come to bed, and he's yeah. like, no. "Like, how do you know when you like have the, the right? Mad scientist. How do you yeah, know when you know. have the right blend?" Is I mean, that's but he obviously worked out because it's like it's a legendary seasoning salt that you guys are probably sad that you sold a long time ago. We are uh, indeed. <laughs> um, God damn it! When did, you sold it like in the seventies, seventy nine. Yeah, yeah. And um, then it, that, and then they sold that. To McCormick's, what, like... Uh, 2008? 2008? Hmm. Yeah. Was that for a little bit of money or a lot of money? Pocket change. <laughs> yeah. I think just shy Fell of off 700 truck. million. Yeah. Incredible. Really? Yeah, yeah. Ooh. Yeah. I mean, do you feel now that you're, uh, you're taking the reins of the Lowry's horse that it's time for you to start working on your next seasoning salt? Um... I mean, not 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 specifically a seasoning salt, but your own, you know, the new Lowry's product for for the new, the taste of a new generation. Your Crystal Pepsi, <laughs> if you will. I like to think about Coke Zero personally, but uh, <laughs> Andre loves Coke Zero. I, love I Coke Zero. think I'm not thinking. It doesn't uh, matter about, about the Coke Zero at all. Uh, a packaged food product, but I am thinking about other sorts of food and beverage experiences concepts mm-hmm. uh, more so i've i've dabbled in some hot sauces i love hot sauce mm-hmm. oh, okay. um i haven't spent the time really to, to think about putting that well i mean you love the jalapeno experience yeah, i do i like chilies a lot if i think i think we're onto something already yep. i mean there's a lot there's a whole subdivision of people who only eat their in and out with the with the chilies with on chilies. Them, you know I want to know how long that's been around because I just found the chilies maybe a few years ago and I love them. I, I think um, I think it's been available for maybe like ten or fifteen years, mm-hmm. but more popular in the last few years. Mm-hmm. I think right, yeah. um, I think our our friends to the south have known about it for a while and they've sort of kept it close to the vest, mm-hmm. and then uh, the rest of the world kind of found out about it. And, but yeah, you, they chop it up and sizzle it right onto the patty ooh, as well. I, uh, ooh, wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, the, oh, you, you can get it mustard grilled where they squirt mustard on the patty and then sear that in. But if you ask them, I believe they'll, pretty great. they'll chop they'll chop up the holy cow the the jalapeno and kind of sear it on the patty as well. Ooh, mm-hmm. exciting! So yeah, just take that idea yeah. and run with it for yeah. your um, in the back pocket. Mm-hmm. And with the international adventures, is there anything that surprised you? Um, Opening up something again so representative and iconic of an American experience abroad challenges or has it been fairly seamless or appreciated? Is there kimchi on the menu at Seoul Lowry's? Uh, there is kimchi available for really? sure, not yep. uh, not on the menu. We dabbled around with some kimchi fried rice as a lunch option. Mm-hmm. Ended mm-hmm. up not menuing it, but right. mm-hmm. it's pretty tasty. Prime rib kimchi fried rice. Damn, yeah, can can you do that in Beverly Hills? <laughs> yeah, Please, it's pretty good. Um, uh, I think really we've definitely that. had some challenges. We had a restaurant in, in Shanghai that we ended up closing mm-hmm. um, because 
we introduced the concept, I think, a little uh, too early for that consumer. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a little foreign to sit down to that portion of meat rather than be right. sharing that portion of meat. Yep. Mm. Uh, so that was a, a challenge. I was part of that opening team, and that was a cultural shift uh, that I was not expecting in the language barrier, and it was a, that was a challenging opening. Yeah. Um, and then look at our opportunities in, in Japan. We now have three restaurants with our partners, Wonder Table, two in Tokyo, one in Osaka, yeah. and uh, those are amazing restaurants and great dining experiences. Um, we have a, a ribeye on the menu at the both Tokyo restaurants, and they've been able to introduce that as a mid-course between your spinning roll salad and your prime rib, and they'll present oh, a ribeye, beautiful bone-in ribeye, slice it, serve it with rice and fresh wasabi. And so you're almost making Damn. like this ribeye nigiri mashup. Yeah. It's amazing. It's, it's amazing. Got to go to Japan, um, baby. Yeah. Yo, what the hell, man? Bring <laughs> some of this shit to LA. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I, I want that a lot, and I want prime rib kimchi fried rice a lot as well. Yeah, we're, also, we're playing um, with some stuff. So. Also, the, uh, do you guys ever do a horseradish martini? So we do a uh, Lowry's uh, martini. It's, we call it the meat and potatoes martini. Because yeah. the Lowry's um, martini, I had it, and it's a, it's a wild ride. It's good. It's Because yeah. lo- that's the one where the, the, there's a, literally a chunk of prime there's rib inside of, prime of the rib. olive yep. in your martini. Yep. I had some questions about that. Okay. Let's talk about how that, how that prime rib gets into the olive... Is it is it put in fresh to order every day, or is it like pickled no. and preserved? No, it's put in uh, fresh every day. It's part of the bar's side work. Got um, it. Ideally, you take an end cut because you've got all that additional seasoning and caramelization right. on it, and yeah. it's just That's a really the piece job for the new guy, huh? Yeah. <laughs> Hey, yeah. what do I do Taking today? Taking a toothpick, pulling the pimento <laughs> out, inserting chunko prime rib. Yeah. Uh, and the other trick is to put Can a little bit of horseradish. The toilets, in <laughs> put a little bit of horseradish inside the olive, mm-hmm. and then your prime rib, uh, and then that's you know part of the opening side work. Then the rest of the martini is is just Chopin potato vodka, um, a little bit of vermouth rinse, and yeah, there you go. Shake I want to get a horseradish pour. martini on there, buddy. Mm. I, I wanna... love horseradish infused vodka so much. Mm. How come I can't buy those olives in a jar to go? Bring that because I need to eat at the restaurant. But yeah, I mean that's like come on, that's a product. Well, horseradish and prime rib stuffed olives for martinis, like ugh, yeah, I'll buy then that. You, then you kind of wonder. I mean, like what happens? The, all the yeah, preserving what? the olive is one yeah. thing, but like this prime rib was placed inside of this olive in November 2016, <laughs> and now I'm about to soaking eat it. in a brine. I'm yeah, not scared. It's a little bit like some science experiment. It could turn some people off. But, that's true. Yeah. That's fair. But also, we can just make that at home whenever we want, Andre. Yeah. Uh, and also, Andre has made prime rib at home. And? And your dad liked it, right? Yeah, yeah, but, he but liked like, it a lot. It was a reverse sear. Okay, the, the Kenji Lopez alt reverse sear technique. Exactly. Uh, you know, I think prime rib, so many people are scared of, of cooking it. And it yes. actually, if you prepare properly I think you give yourself a couple hundred dollars and yes. you'll probably fuck it up yeah yeah well, I, I'm, I'm trying to encourage people not to think you're gonna fuck it up it's no, yeah, 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 no yeah, you yeah, want yeah. them to think they'll fuck it up and the only place to get it is at lowry's i of course want that because you don't want to clean up after it no. uh, but you know if you're having a big dinner party or you're having a holiday celebration don't forget prime rib it's it's mm-hmm. really not an uh, a terribly challenging piece of yeah, meat i to think cook. now that so. we have the invention of the probe thermometer mm-hmm. it's 
makes things a lot easier. It cuts out the 25 years of working on the line to know when it's perfect. Yes. You, <clears throat> technology has helped in that. But Ding. Yeah, <laughs> you mentioned the special occasion stuff for the holidays. It was, I asked my dad what he wanted for his, wanted me to cook him for his 70th birthday. And he's like, well, I want a prime rib. So I grabbed, to I grabbed a really beautiful four-bone prime rib from Calls Up the Street. Sure. And They're great. threw yeah. it in a cooler, drove it up to their place in Northern California. And mm-hmm. And made it for him, and you know it's like that's love right there, baby. Not only is it a special ingredient as a meal itself, again as represented by the restaurants, just the presentation and the look of it, and having it on a table, and the smell of it, and the cooking, everything about that dish is just kind of big celebration, big meal, big moment. Mm-hmm. It's, it's great. And it takes if you do it at home, and, and I think it's part of why the, the restaurant so, uh, has been so popular, it takes multiple days to think about. You can't yep. just rush out and go grab it. You've got to prepare. You cook it for multiple hours. Your house smells lovely. Oh. right? Inevitably, you've got a couple bottles of wine open. Like, mm-hmm. So much is building in that experience beyond just the food, and I think that's what we replicate at Lowry's. So. Yeah, how, if, if somebody wanted to cook some prime rib at home, mm-hmm. how, how would you recommend doing it? Uh, low and slow. And allow plenty of time. So we actually cook the prime rib uh, about 250 degrees, okay. four hours. Yep. What do you do to it before it goes in the oven, though? Season it overnight, minimum. I would say if you can, season it a couple days in advance, two so days in advance. a couple days in advance, salt mm-hmm. the whole thing yep. pretty liberally. Yep. We do actually a blend of Lowry seasoned salt and table salt. Mm-hmm. We find that if you go 100% Lowry salt... Um, it's too Lowry's. It, it, it has a little bit too much sugar in it, and it tends to color a little bit too much. And mm-hmm. the table salt also just helps penetrate a little, a little too deeper. Too paprika into the, forward. Yeah, I get it. Yeah. Okay. So we do a, we do a salt and seasoned salt blend, uh-huh. and then it sits in the fridge uncovered. Uncovered. Mm-hmm. Critical. Yeah. People get really scared by that idea. Uncovered. You want a little bit of evaporation. You want things to dry out a little bit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, just think dry aging. Absolutely. You're doing you're doing a very short dry age, but yeah. you're bringing some of the water moisture out, concentrating the beef flavor. I'm Absolutely. sure you guys have yeah. been doing uncovered refrigeration for a long time, but that's one thing that the normal uh, consumer the, at, yeah. the normal yeah. consumer at home is just starting to be okay with in the mm-hmm. last couple of years as people are being more. I'll usually at home, I'll put a piece of parchment over something just yeah. so something else doesn't fall on it. Who knows, right? Yep. Always be you know, mindful of putting it on the bottom of your refrigerator so you don't drip you into your alone, would milk. You, you wouldn't do the parchment, would you? No, I probably would. <laughs> you know, I'm a stickler for some you of that stuff. You have a bunch of kids running around knocking yeah. juice boxes in the Yeah, because yeah, the, yeah, the kids are going to... Something's going to happen. They're going to touch the prime rib. Kids, don't touch the prime rib! They're, they're going to touch their eye, and then we've got to call... You know, we've got to go to the hospital. It's a whole thing. we got rib eye. Yep. No. Sorry. Uh, okay, so <laughs> sits in the fridge. Couple days. <laughs> Couple days. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, two days. Preheat your oven. Pull the rib, the roast out in the morning. Ideally, let it come to room temperature. Yep. Like you don't want to go straight from a refrigerator into the into the oven. So uh, that big just, boy coming to room temp, that's going to take hours. Yeah. So I mean, leave it out for an hour. Yep. But I I, if you want to do this for. If you, if you have time, but now you're getting up pretty early. I mean, mm-hmm. if you're going to have this meal 7 o'clock, say, mm-hmm. you want to start thinking about cooking, at, I don't know, 9, 10 in the morning, yeah. ideally? Really? Yeah. Well, uh-huh. you said a four-hour cook time, but that's also, you know, so when I did mine, it's, you know, it was, the rest time was a minimum of two hours as well. Absolutely. I think so many people pull stuff out of the oven, whether it's a steak off the grill or, or a roast chicken out of the oven, 
cut into it and the whole thing bleeds out on your cutting board, yeah. let it rest. Yeah. I mean, the longer the better. At the restaurant, our roasts are usually done by 2 in the afternoon yeah. at the latest, yep. if not earlier. Really? And we'll put them into holding cabinets you know, that controls the temperature and keeps them warm for four, five, six hours. Yeah. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. If you so. think about an inch and a half steak that yeah. weighs a third to a half of a pound and you're supposed to let it rest for 10 minutes... What do you do for you know a fifteen pound prime rib? Minimum of an hour, exactly. Yeah. Minimum of an hour, and, and after an hour, you slice into it, and it's still perfect temperature, still piping hot. Sure, steam's coming out of it. Yep. Well, one of the challenges though, there, you're never going to have prime rib that's ripping hot. Yeah, you're not because if you want it to be medium rare, it's never going to get much above 125, 130 degrees. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's just one of the well, things. That's why you have Daddy to warms up the plate. Yeah, exactly. And the au jus. Hot food, hot plate, and the au jus. Critical. And you guys are you guys are are staunch cold food, cold plate, cold fork people. Cold fork, which absolutely. I really, I always loved that. I always loved the the, the cold dinner salad served on a cold plate with a cold knife mm-hmm. and fork. Is something I, I like that. It's such a great little detail of the Lowry's experience, <clears throat> and in some ways, it's so irrational because you have a cold fork. That's not going to stay cold for very long. No. But it's all about setting that expectation of, wow, this is a great crisp salad. It's a cold plate. It's a cold fork. They're considering all these details. Uh, and I think that really enhances what is a, a great yeah. part of the meal. But um, For those who appreciate the little things, they'll get a nice kick out of it. Yeah, absolutely. It's, I like should have looked this up. Is there, fish on, is there any fish on the menu? Yes. There is. Yes. So, so we thinking, have lobster. We have a salmon uh, presentation. We'll have a fish of the day. Yes, yeah. I was thinking about Fridays and, and mm-hmm. Catholics, and I was like, hmm, okay, all right, yeah, all right. Yeah, so yeah. there is some, some fish. Walk yeah. me through that spinning salad. Uh, the famous spinning bowl salad. So That's the vaudeville, baby. <laughs> That's yeah, the yeah. show. Yeah, I love that. It's like table-side guac for white people. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it's got... Yeah, that, what's that? What are, we, what are you going to do with that big bowl of iceberg, <laughs> baby? <laughs> so it's got a... a Lettuce blend, romaine, a little bit of iceberg, a uh, little bit of spinach. Um, the big three. Hard-boiled egg, critical. Yep. Mm. Oddly enough, hard-boiled egg put through the meat grinder, which okay. is a, creates a really interesting kind of crumbly texture. Mm. And that is part of the emulsificant behind the dressing. And yeah. And creates a really interesting texture on the salad. Yeah. Um, a shoestring pickled beet. Um, our famous croutons, which are actually our sourdough bread that have been deep-fried. Mm. And seasoned with Lowry seasoned salt. Bad man. Um, What's that fry oil looking like at the end of the day? You know, that fry oil bad? from bread is fine. Fry oil from our crispy onions that are uh, an option at Lowry's, mm-hmm. that's where fry oil gets hammered. Right, it's a right. combination of all the acid and the sugars in the onions and that flour uh, falls off. That's yeah, where yeah, it gets yeah. trashed. So. Got it. Okay. Yep. And then it comes on a, on a, in a bowl over another ice bowl, and our servers spin that salad and then dress it and serve it to you. Yeah, it's kind of like a cocktail shaker for your salad, and that bowl gets real cold. Yeah, it's fantastic. It's, I, when I first came to the company over 10 years ago, I, I went through server training in Beverly Hills and had a, about a week on the floor working with uh, Joe Mercado, one of our, our great servers over at the restaurant. And learning to spin the salad is not, uh, it's not simple. It's not insignificant. Whenever mm. you guys are there, I'd love to give you guys a whirl at the spinning bowl salad. Oh, man. Uh, Dream come true. It, it, I would love that. You have to have that. the right pace 
and, and then getting in there, once you've actually dressed it, then you've got to get in there and toss the salad with the tongs. Mm-hmm. And if you don't work in the right direction, you're right. going to stop the salad yeah. and kind of screw up the whole show. Gonna fuck up your and tips. as you're adding yeah. weight, you're slowing down the bowl as it was spinning, so you have to yeah, adjust for that. And, yeah, it was like, and you spin a little too fast. Greens do fly out. I mean, you've got to know what you're doing. And this is all in front of your guests that are giving you your And there's not a single home. pair of eyeballs not fixated yeah. Yeah. on you. and every, No one's looking at their Instagram while the spinning salad is happening for nope. a few minutes. Mm-hmm. Like everyone, or they're taking pictures or putting it on their Instagram <laughs> no, of it. Nobody was distracted until they decided they needed to film it. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Yeah, Major great. Domo's taking a page out of that Lowry's book. He's giving us some good credit. Pageantry's coming back. Oh, yeah? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Chang is showing love? Yeah. We, wanted, we invited him out to the food bowl event, but he's, right. uh, he's too busy, couldn't make it, but wants to come out at some point, which would be a great honor. I think he's, uh, I think he's a great chef and restaurateur, and... Uh, particularly the Ugly Delicious program, I think is a, a great insight into the creativity of a chef and a food product and the cultural background. I mean, I, I think it's some really awesome yep. loving it. programming. So, so, so now you're, oh, I'll, I'll do a little bit of your personal life mm-hmm. um, and a non-Lowry situation. Right. So you grew up? I grew up in Northern California. And then you were, how, how soon were you funneled into the family biz? Uh, I came to the family business on my own. Um, I grew up in Northern California. My mom's a great cook. Funneled um, was the wrong word. I'm sorry. No, 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 no. <laughs> uh, and loved, um, loved cooking, loved food, the idea of food, but I was a super picky eater as a kid. Like shades of beige from pasta with Alfredo sauce to a dry hamburger. No yep. greenery, no fish, nothing. Until I was in college. I mean, it was late. Wow. But... I woke up every Saturday morning and watched cooking shows, and I mm. helped my mom make dinner. And you know, I, at age twelve, I was working on my vinaigrette emulsification, like crazy stuff. Mm. But I wouldn't eat any of it. Um, what shows are you watching? Oh, you know, old Jacques Pepin, Burt Wolf's Table, uh, Frugal mm. Gourmet. Yeah, um, yeah. So you, so you were making all this food, but not eating it. No, I wouldn't eat it. So I, I, <laughs> I get, I, I completely grilling. understand that. I love grilling. I'd grill fish for my mom and my sister. Wouldn't eat it. I'd have a boneless, skinless chicken breast on the side. So then, uh, chicken fingers yeah, for exactly. me, please. Thank you. Um, so you're making a vinaigrette mm-hmm. and just so you're seasoning it up. Oh yeah, and like then you're being like, "Mommy, will you taste my vinaigrette shallot. for me?" Yep. <laughs> Master the shallot for the right amount of time. Mustard, uh-huh. etc. Let it sit. Uh-huh. Work on my emulsification. Perfect. And you're like. Looks good. Looks good. Moving on. Yep. Yeah. Not going to try Beautiful it. poached asparagus. Here's your asparagus vinaigrette. Nah, I'm good. Cheerio. Yep. Walk away, chef. Yep. Hands yeah. up. So then around college, so then you in picked college, up the bong and started getting a taste for, <laughs> uh, taste for the finer things yeah, in life. There, I get there it. may have been some of that. And then, uh, <laughs> yeah, I was studying abroad in Australia, living uh, with two women and... One of my roommates, uh, we needed to feed ourselves and got got tired of eating ramen. Yeah. And I started cooking a little bit and realized I can do this. And there's a lot of, you know, experience back in the bank account. And Mm. then the floodgates opened. Start getting laid from your cooking skills. Yeah. 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 And that's... uh, (laughs) (laughs) There's value there, right? Uh, We call that value added, baby. (laughs) And there was, uh, you know, a bit of two epiphanies there. One... There's a reason why everyone loves asparagus, so maybe I should try it, or broccoli, or mm-hmm. fish, or whatever it is. Or and jazz. Two, or, yeah. Uh, and if I didn't like it, I could spit it out and never have it again, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, it's and not going to kill was, you. Yeah, and then I just started trying everything, and then I 
fell in love with all sorts of food aside from just the creation of it. Uh, then senior year in college, uh, started working at the Tam Shander, uh, two days a week and Wednesday and Friday living nights. in Pasadena, living in, uh, I was going to Pomona college. So I was out in Claremont and I drive in, mm. um, Wednesday, Friday nights work service. And I thought that was going to be a pretty short time experience before moving into management. Um, but I found I really loved kitchens and the camaraderie of service and uh, mm-hmm. the certainly the technical side of cooking, but also the organization of building mise en place and understanding how all of the, the manufacturing side of a kitchen comes forward into a dining experience. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So I started working a little bit uh, actually full-time after college uh, for another one of our restaurants in Orange County, the Five Crowns. I spent about six months there. And then I left the company for six years. Um, worked in Napa for two and a half years, worked in San Francisco for a year, spent some time in Europe, um, fine dining, super seasonal, uh, Northern California style food, mm-hmm. French and Italian food, and then came back to the company in 2008. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you are currently at Stanford getting I your am. MBA. I'm getting a master's in uh, experienced management, which is a bit of a mouthful. Um, it's a one management. year. It's a one year master's program uh, at Stanford Business School. It's not an MBA, um, okay. but it's right alongside an MBA. Right. We come into the program having to have five years of management experience. Uh, so the MBA classes, like HR and some of the, their core, are pulled out for us. Mm-hmm. Um, but otherwise, it's same curriculum, same. Uh, faculty, same experience in mm-hmm. class with the rest of the MBAs. Yeah, so finishing that up in June. Um, and then with the, the goal and hope of then using that to mm-hmm. move up in, the, in mm-hmm. the ranks of the biz. Yeah. Uh, my uncle, who's our current chairman and CEO, and I are in conversations on that transition, and it'll mm-hmm. be a couple years until mm-hmm. I move into the CEO role. And for, in the meantime, I'll be back into working on operations, Ideally, at a little bit more of a strategic level than, than day-to-day cooking, mm-hmm. certainly. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I love being in restaurants. I love working with our people and getting in front of the guest experience and talking to our guests about why they find Lowry's really special. So mm-hmm. uh, I'm excited to get back to it. It's adrenaline and a good service back there in the kitchen. Oh, it's an incredible moment. And yeah. I, I really miss the, the simplicity of finishing a night service and, and all the work that goes into preparing your station, that individualistic idea of of you need to carry your weight or the rest of the line is going to go down yep. and when that last ticket comes in and you fill your last order and you clean your station and clean your eyes and roll it up and go home like it's such a satisfying experience yeah. mm. uh, to think about how hard you work the, the physicality of, of getting through a restaurant service all that you've accomplished and completed putting out beautiful food and and playing a part in improving someone's day Mm-hmm. And then you go home, and it's you know tomorrow's another another challenge, another opportunity. So yeah, you get, yeah, you get the you get the mental satisfaction mm-hmm. and the physical indeed sense of accomplishment. You go home feeling tired and sore, but in a good way, kind of. Absolutely, yeah. And, it's uh, like you... Plopping on that couch for Netflix feels that much better when you when you're done with the night's nice work. Yeah, no, it's a it's a great experience. I really miss the the day to day of of working the line. <clears throat> Yeah, it's great. Did you miss going back to college? Um, I today I'm really enjoying being a student. It took a while to figure out how to be a student, be a passive. Hello, fellow young people. Uh, yeah, be a <laughs> passive receptor of information rather than always making management decisions and leading. Yeah, uh-huh. um, oh, yeah, and and figuring out frankly, how to do the appropriate amount of work without doing all the work. You can't do all the reading that's assigned to you, but you need to come in appropriately prepared and engage. 
um, and get out of the experience what you need to get out of it. And doing that also with two little kids and being a a partner to my wife and uh, also staying involved with Lowry's probably at a 25% amount of time, that that balance has been really challenging. So I I um, can imagine. A lot of coffee? A lot of coffee, a lot of late nights. uh, But it's been great. I'm really glad... Uh, we've done it. It was actually my wife's encouragement to apply and, and go through the process and, and go to business school. And it's been an amazing experience. And I'm really, really sad uh, to see it come to a close in another month um, yeah, as the student and executive and leader of our family business. Um, but the spouse and dad is done being a grad student. I'm, I'm looking forward <laughs> to a, a schedule I'm more in control of and being able to spend yeah. more time with my wife and kids. And, yeah. Get your ass back down to the OC, baby. Yeah, definitely. Sit on the beach. <laughs> All right. Well, um, thanks so much for doing this, Ryan. Do you have uh, Do you have an Instagram or anything you want to shout out? Are you an Instagram kind of guy? I am. Uh, my Instagram Is account's been a little bit uh, dormant for the last year as I've been a student, but it's gonna be firing up. Your Instagram um, sucks. Right just now, pictures though. of yeah, textbooks for the last six months. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> just piles of pencils and crumpled up paper. Uh, yeah, R O M Wilson. Um, is my Instagram. Uh, definitely want to give a shout out also to the Tampatio. Check that out if you guys haven't already. <laughs> yeah, that's going to be um, Hashtag summer. Tampatio. Hashtag Tampatio, absolutely. <laughs> um, and then I also wanted to ask you guys, right? We were supposed to talk about what our best thing we've eaten all week. Isn't that's that right. you? <laughs> that's right, absolutely. Ryan, you dirty dog. I like it. Yeah. What okay. do you guys got? Or am I going well, first? I like, I like that Ryan just comes on. He knows what's and going he on. And he knows more, he knows more <laughs> about me than I know about me. Big time. I hope that's not true. But. Best thing about, well, best thing I ate all week, I guess. I mean, it, it might be. Uh, <laughs> no, I mean, the fanciful uh, L being sprinkled on some meat. I, uh, I, had, I had a lot of food at, at Lowry's, which was good. I, I did, um, did we talk about the Sloppy Joe? That was the best thing we ate? No, we didn't do one I made some Sloppy week. Joes. The, the often forgotten sloppy Joe. Yep. And it, and I was I don't I don't like to always say the best thing I ate was something that I made, but I think I agree with you. Yeah. That was really something. What made it so great? You better not give a plug to Lowry's. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, now that I have some Lowry season salt from my gift bag mm-hmm. last week, uh, my my next version. I mean, my uh, I think the secret to it was adding some <coughs> goju jang. Awesome. And uh, and some MSG. Yep. MSG is. A great thing. I'll, quick MSG story that's uh, appropriate here. Uh, my grandfather, as he was getting later in life, um, he passed away three years ago at 92. Um, mm-hmm. He came to me and said, Ryan, can you go get some MSG and put it back into my season salt? So his household season salt, he wanted the MSG mm-hmm. back into it, which we took out 25, I don't know, 30 years ago. Oh. He said, damn it, this doesn't taste the same. I'm an old man. Give me my MSG. So, so. cool. I yeah. feel like I feel like I'm, we're we're seeing the MSG tide sort of turning. You know, people like David Chang are, are mm-hmm. very vocal about saying it's not that bad of a deal. No, and it, you can find it naturally existing. Obviously, it's just monosodium mm-hmm. glutamate. We can go on and on. But about maybe that, but. Uh, I'm starting to see products that are offer like there's Coke and Diet Coke. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm seeing a Lowry's original msg and a lowry's sans msg on the shelf in the future perhaps yeah, yeah. give us i mean msg is in everything that you know cheetos and doritos and yeah. all and the, the stuff that tastes taste so good. good yeah yeah everybody's favorite guilty pleasures for sure mm-hmm. mm. and even everyone's non-processed guilty pleasures right i mean there's a reason why a great bowl of ramen is so satisfying because it's got all that fermentation mm-hmm. base and the bonito and whatever else you know, oh yeah creates all that 
umami. So yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, absolutely. I just got back uh, last night from San Francisco, and um, I went made a trip on the drive into the Bay Area to Casper's Hot Dogs, which is what my dad grew up on originally in Oakland, and today is still my favorite hot dog. Somewhere across between, you know, sense memory and also it's a really great hot dog. Mm-hmm. And Casper's makes their own mixed meat. Frank's wow. a really beautiful snap casing. And when you go into most of the Casper's locations have been there since... Well, they started in the 30s, I think in like 1934. Mm-hmm. Um, and the location I went to is still original from the 40s. It's got the signage and looks like a really small... So it's, you walk in, beautiful old sign hanging above, and it's like a 10-seat horseshoe counter. Um, and the Casper's original is mustard. Not like an apple pan, perhaps. A very, uh, very much can apple pan. I know your ass has been to the apple pan. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. So it's a mustard relish dog with um, half moon tomatoes, kind of like a Chicago dog, and fresh onion. Mm. And what struck Mm. me, so I sat in, there's a woman working there, you know, like in her early 70s, and she's, you know, are you for here to go? I said, for here, she said, have a seat, doesn't ring me up yet. You know, it's kind of like that cross between fast casual, but also like, I don't think you're going to run out on the bill, sit down, make yourself Mm. at home kind of feel. And she makes she you know she goes to the hot dog and then starts pulling out produce and cutting it to order, um, which makes perfect wow. sense. It's like a small thing where it's it's it takes so yeah. so little time to do and uh, so much so much. L- it's not a lot more time to do that than have a tray of prepared stuff. But there was this moment of watching this person slowly cut each little half-moon tomato <laughs> by hand uh-huh. that wasn't out of a Subway tray that was mm-hmm. cut that morning and been sitting for six hours, which makes a difference. And I was just like, it was such a nice throwback. Hot dog was perfect, and I saved the last bite, wrapped it up, took it to my car where my dog was with me because I drove up. <sighs> And then took wow, a video. <laughs> took a video of my dog eating his first Casper hot dog and sent it to my dad, which made him very happy. Wow! Jesus Christ! That's yeah, a good one. Not a dry that. eye on the yeah, pod. Right. Wow! <laughs> and, and wow! I mean, I'm, I'm so glad. Lenny. Lenny had a Casper original. I'm, you I'm glad you you reminded me to that's talk about content, the best right? thing. I mean, <laughs> that's great content. And also go to Casper.com/slash/the-stew for fifteen percent off your yeah. <laughs> mattress. All your bulk hot dog orders. I assume it's the mattress company as well. Um, <laughs> Ryan, I, I, I mean, you better have one chambered. Uh, I do, absolutely. Uh, last night went out to uh, Viale de Romani, uh, West Hollywood. Viale de Romani? No, I don't know that yeah, one. Yeah, no one knows about this place. I think it's Casey Lang's newest okay. iteration, okay, okay. West Hollywood. Uh, went with my good friend Charlie. He said this is awesome pizza, pasta, kind of redone fancy Italian food, mm-hmm. which I always kind of scoff at. I Sure. Love Italian food, but it's easy to be of... dismissive until you've had it and it's great. Yeah, when, it, when exactly. it's good, it's really good, but it's often it, swinging a miss and it I makes mean, you like, like, oh, I wish I was just eating the regular version of this. Yeah, That's right. And, and yeah, I, I can cook a pretty damn good plate of pasta. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, this was spectacular. Oh, wow. The, the clam pizza was like, gives me shivers. It was so good. Like, I don't know. Mm. The crust alone was, I'm flabbergasted by it. It was super crispy. What's and the name thin. of this place? Viale de Romani. Viale de Romani. Yeah. Add that to the notes, Andy. Yeah, no, I'm making a serious plug on this place. It was really good. Uh, beautiful uh, Rigatoni Amatriciana, too. Okay. Mm. But the clam pizza, like, I, I'm somewhat stupefied by. Mm. Sure. 
tons of clams, like super rich, uh, briny, Not a ton garlicky. of clam pies over in L.A., no, 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 especially no. WeHo. And my friend Charlie's from New Haven, Let's so he knows the clam oh, yeah. pie well, and he's like, no, we got to try this. It was, it was spectacular. So. Nice. Okay. Yep. I want to go. Serious plug. Yep. And then West you saved the last bit of crust for your dog to eat, I assume. I think Damn he it. did, in fact. <laughs> I think he Damn did. It. That's such a sweet story, Andre. Yeah. All right. Oh, it's almost as sweet as those fresh fresh clams on that pie, you know? Yeah. Mm. What? Where's the price point of, uh, of it's this? It's spendy. Okay. Uh, a little spendy. You no, know, it's, a, it's a West Hollywood fancy sure. spot. Um, mm-hmm. I don't remember what the... It's going to be date night time. What the, oh, yeah. $30 order? pie? I don't... $25 pie? It should have like been that. about a $25 pie. I mean, it was yeah. a ton of clams. Yeah. No. It was a twenty-four dollar Amatriciana, so no, okay, yeah. not bad. Okay. Yeah, you can not not too heavy. No, cool, very well worth it though. It was excellent. Yep. Th- well, thank you for that, Ryan. Indeed, and go to uh, go to Lowry's and go get some to Lowry's. Prime rib. Do it, and you know it's great for two people for a date night, and it's also great for twenty people on a birthday. It's the it, you know <clears> it's like it really can it, it suits all occasions. It's always and, fun. and my favorite thing about it is you walk in and you like you, you're you're in Beverly Hills. You're on La Cienega. You got the valet parking, the Grand Bar, and and you're like. God, this is this is gonna do a little number on my wallet already. Like I'm about to get fucked on this. And then you look at the menu and you're like, all things considered, it's, it's a pretty bad. damn it's good really deal. Really fair. Yeah, yeah. No, we think about that a lot. We want it to be a popular restaurant. We want it yeah, to be accessible you can, you for can everyone. Get the full run. Yep. I mean, when you go there, you really want the full run, and they make it very easy. Like, if you want to eat here, this is the way you do it, and just point at that on the menu, and they'll be like, "Do you want this or this?" And then we have a lot of people come in; they don't even open the menu. Yeah, and we love that, and mm-hmm. we really want to maintain that bit of service and the yeah. For all, all that, things that concerned, for what you get in the whole experience, it's it's pretty cheap. Yeah, no, it is. It, it's uh, if you compare us to the competition, we are underpriced, and we're proud of that. We want to be Lowry's an accessible restaurant for everyone. Money, losing so. money, <laughs> that's <every> not true. <laughs> <laughs> that's not true. <laughs> Obviously not. Uh, well, thank you again for doing this, and thank you, you. Follow pleasure. Me, thank uh, you both. Yeah, you could follow me on social media at them jeans and thestewpodcast.com for all the other episodes. Under Conoparos, no Instagram, and that's cool. Nah. Say goodbye, guys. Thank you. Thank you. Guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.